Listening Dog Media. The Heel is Real podcast with Abby Eastwood and Debbie Mack. Hello and welcome to the Heel is Real podcast. I'm Abby Eastwood. And I'm Debbie Mack. And on the uh, this episode of the Heal Is Real podcast, we are talking to Emma Thompson. Now, she got her implants in 2006 and suffered BII symptoms for 13 years. She had no idea it had anything to do with her implants. And, well, to be honest, it's quite a story, isn't it, Emma? <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, I'm quite, quite happy to talk about it now that it's over. <laughs> Slightly less traumatising. But, yeah, it's... Um, almost unbelievable really what made you have breast implants in the first place what was going through your head at that particular time in your life that made you feel uncomfortable with your body uh well mine is actually um probably slightly unusual i mean um i was in you know i was in music at the time um a lot of people that i knew were you know dancers and and that kind of thing so it was extremely normal to me to be around it um but I did actually have I only had one breast that properly developed so I I didn't just you know have massive insecurities about having small boobs I mean I, I literally was um quite um yeah riddled with 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 um you know, confidence issues around being naked because there was such a considerable size difference. So, you know, we're not all breasts are asymmetrical. I mean, I'm asymmetrical now. Ironically, since I've had them taken out, I really don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but at 23, you know, when I got them done, it'd been years of really, really, really worrying about it. And the more I was around people who had had it done anyway, just because, you know, they were dancers and things like that, I just thought, yeah, why not? Um, and you know, I, I I won't lie. It was for my confidence. You know, I I love. I absolutely loved them. I loved the fact that I felt like I looked more like everybody else. I suppose as a twenty-three-year-old, you must have really struggled to get hold of bras and things like that that would fit you properly. So that would have added to your insecurities as well. Yeah, and and just getting naked with people really, I had to mm. be absolutely steaming. Um, and you know, I, I think most people, to most people, I would have seemed really confident, um, especially sexually. But it's just always because I was in an absolute tip. Um, but otherwise, there was just you know there was no way. I was so self conscious. I can completely resonate with that. That's exactly this a very similar situation to me. I mean, I wasn't asymmetrical, but I had absolutely nothing. And you know, to go into a relationship or be naked with anybody was just a complete embarrassment. So I totally understand why you did it. I would say it's very similar to my story. So you've had the breast implants put in. At what point did you start noticing that symptoms were appearing and you started to feel unwell? So, I mean, <clears throat> there are two parts to this story because there were things that were noticed earlier on that only after BII did I know were part of the story. So when I started to get unwell, it was just before I turned 30. So they've been in seven years at this point. Okay. Um, and I, I lit- I'd been sleeping a lot. Um, and I went to the doctors and they said, oh, maybe your glandular fever, your Epstein-Barr's been reactivated. That's what they said. 
Um, I was on tour at the time, DJing in India, and honestly, all of the footage that the other DJ I was on tour with took, I'm like this, <sighs> completely asleep in all of the footage, all of the plane journeys, all of the car journeys, I'm asleep. I just couldn't function. Um, so then when I got back, that, that was when the doctors rang me and said, well, we don't know because it's always in the bloodstream, but it's showing up. Maybe it's reactive. Maybe that's what it is. And then um, in April, I was 13 in the June, I just started collapsing at home. And it was the most terrifying thing that ever happened to me because I couldn't, I, I, I actually thought I was having a stroke. I wasn't sure um, at all what was going on. I'd never collapsed before. I, I, every time I stood up, I was back down. And I rang my mum and I said, there's, there's something really seriously wrong with me. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm dying I, I was I had this tremendous fear that I was going to have a stroke and get locked in because I, I if it was like I had no control over my body. Mm. Um, so my mum did the quickest journey from Rochdale to Withenshaw on the history of planet Earth. I mean, she must have been there in about 20 minutes. I don't know how many feeding tickets she will have got. Um, so she came and got me and got me in the car and my, my legs just wouldn't work. So uh, I went to A&E and um, they put me in... Uh, in, well, I you know I saw a doctor and they were asking me all sorts of questions like if I'd been taking drugs and I was like no I'm not I don't know what's going on so they did a load of tests and I was in for three days but I couldn't even get to the toilet at that point I couldn't walk to the toilet um, so they released me out on like day three <clears throat> um, with you know nothing showing up in the bloods as we know they're not you know they're only looking for very specific things um, and I could not get out of that hospital. The, I don't know if you know Wittenshaw Hospital, but from, from it, I mean, it's huge. So from where I was to the exit, I couldn't get out. I couldn't walk. So I had to be wheeled out. And that was that was it for me, really. Uh, for, 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 for months, it was literally barely able to walk. Um, I mean, I didn't know at the time that that was going to be the next few years of my life. But um, I eventually saw a specialist in maybe in the June um, and got diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome because then, it, you know, April, May, June, it had been three months of, of being like that. Um, so that was just, you know, what I accepted. They said, we can't see anything wrong. Chronic fatigue is your body sending signals that there is something wrong, but there isn't really. And I, I, I even right from the beginning, I remember thinking, I cannot brush my own hair. There is no way that my brain is sending that signal and that there's not something physically wrong. I know there is something physically wrong. But, you know, that's what they said. So that's what I accepted. And that was the, you know, that was the that was the start of it, really. So it sounds like you were pretty much OK for, for seven years, although you may have been quite tired. And then it sounds like it lots happened very, very quickly. So and obviously with it being seven years into having your implants, you're not going to think, oh, my goodness, this is definitely the tits. You're, you're probably going to have forgotten that you even had them done in the first place by that point. Well, there had been other things happening that I only later, after learning about the uh, the effects on the endocrine system of silicon, um, that I understand some of the things that happened earlier on. So when I was 26, my anxiety got so bad, I was actually put in hospital. Um, like really almost disassociation type stuff going on. Um, I really aged. I really, really aged overnight when I was about 27. 
I got massive, like, really pronounced lines in my head. Like, I was, I, I actually had Botox at that point. I've not had it um, for, for, you know, years and years and years and years after I got ill. Um, I didn't know if that was contributing, but um, just because I, I was so self-conscious about that, I was like, how, how has that just happened all, all of a sudden? And the other thing that happened was that my skin went to shit. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm never from being a, a, a teenager, never had spots, acne, nothing. And my skin was full of crap. It was like it couldn't, like my skin couldn't contain the amount of crap that was in the pores. Yeah. So I was just full of like blocked pores. So there were quite a few things that happened leading up to that. I hadn't been physically unwell. Um, it was the, the physically unwell came from, you know, being tired for for a bit and then bang, that's it now, my body. My body had obviously been for those seven years trying to break it down, trying to fight what was going on in the body and then it was just absolute, you know, shut down point because it, it was almost complete adrenal collapse really at, at that point. I mean, to have all of those symptoms and then to be collapsing, not being able to walk and nobody telling you why this is happening to you you must have been so scared. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, the, 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 the chronic fatigue diagnosis was, I'll, I'll never forget that. I went to the pub and had about three pints because I was just crying. Because like, for me, I didn't think there was any way back from that. Mm. Um, and I did kind of maintain that belief for, for a few years. Um, and it was, it was absolutely unbearable. I mean, there were times when I was sleeping for 22 hours a day. Um, I would go through periods where I was the same amount of tired, but I couldn't sleep at all, which sent me absolutely crazy. Um, I mean, really crazy. I really got tipped over the edge at one point um, and largely just wanted to die because, you know, for me, I, I didn't think that there was any way back. I'd been told there was no way back. Mm. I was a shell. I, you know, I, I really mentally... Um, completely changed me because I was I was so I felt like I had nothing to give anyone yeah. so you know I, I told my, 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 my partner I said you know who God bless her I don't know how I really to this day don't know how she dealt with it or, or put up with me at all um, because I was so I was so resentful of her living the normal life that, that I hated her for it. I hated her that she was going out and training when I couldn't. I hated her that she was leaving me alone to be in pain she had to get on with her life all the time. I, I hated her for it. So I was I was horrible. Um, but it was just projecting my, my pain and complete lack of self-worth because I didn't understand why anybody could could or should stay with somebody that was not the person that they signed up to. So I did actually say to her, um, you know, I'm giving you an out here because this isn't ever going to be any better and you've got no quality of life, which was very painful as well. But your story sounds so similar to Abby's story, it, it doesn't it, Abby? Really? It's so, so yeah. similar. And yeah. yeah, the fact that you're being misdiagnosed with something that you think you're going to have for the rest of your life. So it yeah. just drives you yeah. to the edge, basically. And ugh, it must have been absolutely to awful. The edge, though, because, well, mm. sometimes you feel all right and then it comes back and then you're crushed. And yeah. then you feel all right and then you're crushed. And it's just relentless. And I, I got told by the ME Society, you know, cheeriest phone call I've ever made. I rang them because I was getting all these new symptoms where I was, I, I was, I was physically 
And the way I felt crazy explaining it to her, I was going, it's like my cells are vibrating. It's a really, really, really horrible sensation. I constantly feel like I'm going to fall down. And it's like my cells are vibrating. I mean, I can't see it, but what's that? And they put me in touch with this guy who really isn't a poster boy for ME because he can only talk to people for 10 minutes at a time. And then he has to lie down for two hours. So I was like, oh, great. And the woman said to me on the phone, she said, you need to accept that this is the way you're going to be forever. She went, you, your family needs to understand how serious your illness is, and this is you forever, and you need to accept it. And I got off that call, and I honestly thought, I'm just going to end it. Like, I can't live like this. And I went into a dark hole for about three months, and I, I don't even think I spoke. And then just summer went, no way is this that. There's no way. I'm not having it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. That was on year three. My, my partner would rang my mum two or three times saying, you've got to come because I'm in bed and I'm catatonic because I, I can't, I can't survive anymore. And I'm, I'm, I'm just meltdown after meltdown after meltdown. And then I just found this fire from somewhere because I was like, I don't accept it. There's no way. It doesn't make any sense to me. There's something massively wrong with me. So that woman, as much as, you know, sometimes I feel like hunting her down and giving her a shake. Um, <laughs> if it hadn't have been for her telling me there was no hope, maybe I wouldn't have from somewhere found the fire to find out what was wrong. I literally cannot believe how similar our paths are, honestly. I mean, listening to you tell the story, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I have just welled up and... um yeah, you can probably hear it in my voice. <laughs> yeah, because it's really bringing back memories. I had the same with uh, I called. I got diagnosed with RA, so I called the um, like RA Society to have a chat with them, and I got exactly, exactly the same sentence. Same you need to just accept that this is your life, and. I was just like, I can't, I, I actually can't. And I, even while I'm telling you this, I can see me sitting in the office I was sitting in at the time making that phone call. So it can't just be us that's going through this. I remember what I was wearing. Well, it was a dressing gown, so I didn't get out of them. I remember exactly where I was sat in the house on the couch. And I, I remember picturing her. I remember thinking, I know what you look like because it was such a, it was such a big conversation. I, yeah. I literally have given her a face and everything. And I feel like I know who that person was that gave me that call, that, that, that message. Thank God we don't know who those people are. <laughs> <laughs> so, Emma, you found your fire. You're not being defeated mm -hmm. by this. I'm not accepting this diagnosis. Where did you take it from there? So, I mean, I mean, mine gets worse before it gets better. Because oh, no. what I did was, I didn't, I still didn't know about BII at this point. So I just looked at, I don't know where it came from. I, I, I learned a lot about nutrition in inflammation. And um, I went vegan. I, you know, I did all my pacing, which is supposed to do with CFS, which is absolute nonsense, by the way. And just gradually, I think it took me from, it took me nine months to get from not being able to walk to actually going going to the gym and doing some training. Um, and that was through just eliminating anything at all that would be putting my body under stress. So um, like wheat, dairy, alcohol, coffee, anything inflammatory whatsoever. I, you know, I'd have done anything. So I just went really, really clean. 
And what that did was it gave my immune system enough enough of a break for a short period. So I was like, I've cracked this. I'm writing a book. I'm going to tell everybody how to recover from CFS because I'm doing it. Um, and yeah. so, so I was well for, for, for quite a while. And when I found out about BII, this was the first question they asked. I was like, how was I well for a year? And, you know, it was that Nicole group explained, yeah, yeah well, that can happen. Um, and, you know, the amount of work that you've done to remove as much toxicity from your body, it obviously has been able to focus in one bit. Um, you know, I came off a lot of medication. I was on really, you know, I was on antipsychotics. My anxiety was so bad. So wow. there was a lot of things that I changed myself. Um, and then um, after about a year, maybe 18 months of being well, I moved house. And when we moved in, the house was absolutely upside down. And um, uh, there was black mold in the hallway and in the bedroom upstairs. So we have to rip out all the carpets now. My, my partner's got chronic asthma. So I was like, I'll do that. Don't worry, I'll rip it up. I ripped it up, put it in the van, took it to the tip. And then the next week, it was a, I had a massive crash. But I just felt ill. So that happened in the May. And when my sister came in August, you'll probably find this quite funny, Abby. It's called total denial. So <laughs> I literally couldn't, I couldn't grip cups or anything. Couldn't grip cups. I was banging into everything. And that was going, my sister was, going, was looking at me with this face. <laughs> like, mm. I was going, I've got a virus. She was going, mm. She went, I don't really remember having been ill three months with the virus. And I was going, it's a virus. It's a virus. It's definitely a virus. And she was like, okay. It, you know, there was just no way I was admitting that, that it had come back because it was too, it was too heartbreaking. And I eventually was like, yeah, I'm back because I didn't have a single good day. And I, the second, that, that, that last time around in the past, I'd, you know, I'd be ill three months and then I might have a couple of weeks where I felt better. From then to having my implants out, I didn't have one single good day and it was worse than ever. So what happened was obviously because I'd healed before, I went on a big mission and I found functional medicine. Um, I put a post on Facebook saying, has anybody ever tried a raw vegan diet? Because here was me trying to fix it with nutrition again. Um, and somebody that I know who'd been diagnosed with chronic fatigue, who was fully healed and now practicing in fun functional medicine, sent me a message saying, can we talk? Um, and she explained that hers was all to do with candida, um, and that's where her, her symptoms came from. So she put me in touch with somebody called Dr. Jess Armin, who is the number one world worldwide global specialist in complex medical conditions. So... Uh, anything from fibromyalgia, you know, I mean, he, he cured his own son of schizophrenia because he had parasites and, you know, he wasn't accepting that diagnosis. He worked with autistic kids. He gets people with, he's had kids who are nonverbal becoming verbal again by healing the gut and stuff like that. So wow. I got put in touch with him. And the very first day I spoke to him, I left that call in tears because I knew, I knew he was going to fix me. I absolutely knew he explained to me exactly what chronic fatigue is and what it isn't. He said to me, <clears throat> said, it's not a disease in and of itself. He said, it's a set of symptoms. And there is always, always, always an underlying cause. So he wasn't saying chronic fatigue is not real. He was saying, it's a diagnosis that you get given. So they send you away with it. But there's always something causing it. So we work back. It's like a puzzle. And we find out what's wrong. And I left that call and I just knew. I knew I was going to be okay. 
um and it it one of the questions on the on the on the you do this big thing on your history and stuff with whether or not you've got implants um, and what actually happened with me with him we worked together for, for months and we were sorting out you know my mitochondria i did a 30 page it must have been load of blood tests and the amount of things that weren't working in my body like i had no hormones literally i had no hormones i was releasing sex hormone loads of it because it was going looking for the others but i had like no estrogen my gallbladder wasn't working i had dangerously low white blood cells to the point that something could have killed me covid hit a few months later so i was on mega stuff for my immune system um the amount of things that weren't working in my body was absolutely off the chart for an NHS set of blood tests to tell me that I was fine because yeah. I was in range. But the way that he explained it was, he said, yeah, he said, this is in range. He said, but it's low. This is in range, but it's high. This is off the chart. Yeah, this is in range. But together, he said, all together, that the picture that that paints for me is that you've been fighting something for a really long time. Because your body has been fighting something for a really long time. So <clears throat> we worked together. I, you know, within two or three months, I went for a run because I was getting some, I, he was giving me this stuff that was literally all your minerals and that that goes directly into the cell. So things were working, but then I'd crash again. And he was, and every time I'd crash, I'd be in tears. And he was trying to explain to me, healing isn't linear. You know, he said, you will either, you know, um, the symptoms will get less severe or they'll get less often. You'll crash less often. And then eventually, BII came up because he'd not spotted on my form. I'd done it online, so I clicked it, but it, it hadn't clicked the box properly. Right. Um, and then BII came up, and he was like, I, I'd had three missed calls from him and three emails. And it, I was like, what, what's wrong? I've, you know, I've been in the bath. That was one of my things that was trying to help, my museum bath. And he was like, ring me, ring me, ring me. And I called him, and, he, and he's from New York. He was like, Emma, have you got implants? <laughs> and I said, yeah, and he went, it's dead, it's fucking dead, oh my god, and I was like, what, 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 what do you mean, and he was like, it's fucking dead, and he was so upset, he was so upset that he didn't know that I had implants, that he oh. told me that he went in like a hole for a week, oh, because he wouldn't him. have been able to get there sooner, and his girlfriend had to come around and give him flowers, and he couldn't even see her, but... <laughs> The, the the best thing about it was that when I went for my eventually went for my operation, I mean when he came back to me he said I've got this specialist blah blah blah, um who's written you know I can introduce you to her she's a specialist in BII, um but it's that and I went okay so what if when we take them out it, it, I'm still not well he went that won't happen it's that and I was like well what if he was going it's that and I was like okay sure. wow. <laughs> but, you know the thought of the thought of taking them out and what I would be left with because I watched the TED talk on how my breast implants tried to kill me and that woman had had a double mastectomy because she'd had implants as a result of cancer yeah so when i watched that i thought that was what i was going to look like i i, I didn't realize that there was any saving of any tissue i thought that's what i was going into and i still booked it so when it, i was like right, i got off the phone i cried i dealt with okay this is what i'm going to look like i don't care i just want my life back at this point i was scared but i just wanted my life back i called dr Capel. A friend of mine had had the exact same situation. Hers, she nearly died in a year. Um, and, I mean, the pictures of her are like, she looks dead. And then the day after she's had a match, she looks like a different person, which is what happened to me. So within um, within two days of the conversation with him saying it was that, I was booked. 
and they were out a month later. So that was literally as quick as it went. Wow. And Dr. Capel, you went all the way to the Netherlands, didn't you, to have them removed because Dr. Capel was a, is a, a BII specialist. Tell us a little bit about her and your relationship with her. So Dr. Capel from the Netherlands. Uh, yeah, she's ace. She has just been completely um, vilified, really, by the um, plastic surgery community, which generally tells me all I need to know. When people don't have money to gain and they have things to say, um, then, yeah, that generally that, that generally is, is somebody to be trusted. So I went to her because my friend who nearly died in less than a year went to her. And it was explained to me that if you don't go to somebody who's sympathetic to breast implant illness um, and they leave the capsule, something that should alarm you about breast implants is that your body forms a capsule around the implant to protect you because the natural uh, chemical state of silicon is that the molecule is actually happier in the tissue outside of the implant. So the capsule forms to keep you safe. So everybody should be alarmed at that. If somebody who's a plastic surgeon just takes the, out the implant and leaves the capsule, you're still going to be ill because it's still full of silicon molecules. It's still going to leak into your system. You're still going to be ill. So I was terrified of having them gone and staying ill. Mm. So I spoke to her. Dr. Kappel, um literally said to me on the phone, you need to come now. So they've been in for, they've been in for 13, 14 years at the time. And she'd done an autopsy on a woman who's, whose breast implants had been in as long as mine. And what happened there was a woman went to Dr. Kappel and said, um, I know my implants are killing me. She went, nobody will listen to me. They all think I'm mad. She went, and I know that's what it is. She went, so when I die, do you promise that you will do my autopsy? And she said, I don't think she knew much about it at the time. She said, yeah. And the woman died. And Dr. Kappel did her autopsy. And I, I don't have the numbers for this, but I'm just going to, I'm going to make up an example. So say you should have, I don't know, a hundred silicon molecules per one, whatever it is in the body. Say that's normal. This woman was like in the 20,000s. Mm. So those silicon molecules are in the brain. They're in your organs. You know, they're in your tissues. It's why my legs would collapse from under me. It's why I couldn't think. It's why my hormones weren't there because silicon's an endocrine dis dis disruptor. So um, she knew exactly um, what to do. She'd done it before. She's very skilled. She doesn't put implants in women. She does a lot of hand surgery. Um, and she's, you know, fiercely advocates and fights for women for this condition. So, um, you know, she said to me she would do the best she could with, with what I had um, and, and try and do a little bit of fat transfer. So I would, you know, be slightly more symmetrical it doesn't doesn't last the fat transfer but again not not asked because i can walk um so yeah I, I just said you've got to promise me that you'll take all that capsule and she said I i'll do my best i said no you have to promise me or i'll go somewhere else she went i promise you so she went and got a special when i when i arrived she had a special tool um, and she said this is what we're going to get it all with um, and when I woke up, she broke my, I was, I was really scared. I wasn't going to wake up. I don't know about you, Abby, but I'd been ill for so long. Towards the end, I genuinely, like my heart was waking me up in the middle of the night, pumping me full of cortisol just to keep me alive. And I was disassociating. Like I would look at my partner and I, I for a minute, I didn't know who she was or my dog. I, I felt like I didn't know who he was. Like it was really, I knew I was really failing at the end. 
Mm. So that that operation, I was terrified. I didn't think I thought I wasn't going to be well enough to wake up. But again, I was still prepared to do it just because it was either that or don't have a life and be dead at some point anyway. Um, but when I woke up, she brought my mum in and she showed me all the capsule and it had all just like eaten ripped shreds basically. So they'd had to scrape and scrape and scrape and scrape to get it all. And she showed me my implants and they were half full. Yeah. So yeah. that's what had over time leaked into my system. Now, to be crystal clear to anybody listening to this, I did not have a ruptured implant. It is a natural process that is happening. You know, either your body's trying to break them down and that causes it. But the way that it's been explained to me is that the silicon molecule, it's its not osmosis, but almost that, that kind of process. It's moving. It's moving from inside the implant into your body because the molecule is happier in the tissue. So that's happening to everybody. You might not be having problems, but it certainly ain't good for you. And for me to look at that, it was concaved. It was concave because that much had leaked out. And to be told by the medical professions, by experts, doctors who are experts, that there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah, thanks. I'd have been dead in about six months, I think, if I hadn't have, um, if I hadn't have found that. And now I've got my life back. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you could have died because nobody knew what was going on in your body. And if it hadn't have been for groups like Nicole's group and your functional medicine guy knowing exactly what was going on and that the implants were causing this. You know, this is why awareness needs to be made because there could be one or a hundred women out there now who listen to this and go, oh my God, that's me. I can barely walk. I can barely move. And I've got implants. Maybe it's them, but no Mm. one's ever associated it. Well, yeah, I did a post um, when I got when I got out showing the pictures of my face, all the lines on my head had drastically reduced like overnight. My eyes had gone from gray to blue, all the black under my eyes. It was like my body had gone. (sighs) So many people say that, Emma, as soon as they're out, your body just releases and and relaxes. Yeah, Yeah, I I wasn't, I didn't have palpitations. Um, I was walking better after a five-hour operation where I've had my ribs scraped and I've got, uh, you know, drains hanging out of my body than I was, you know, trying to walk in there. And I did a post and look, the amount of women that got in touch with me going, oh my God, I've, I've got implants, I've got these symptoms, I've been told I've got fibromyalgia, I've just been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, she's autoimmune, really 25, stupid, definitely not. Um, I've got this, I've got that, I'm losing my hair, I've got this brain fog, I don't know what's going on. And I, it, I got that many messages that I couldn't, I couldn't respond quick enough. Mm. And that wasn't just from people I knew. Other people were tagging people in it and going, is this you? And I was mm. absolutely inundated for three days trying to advise people and, and give them ways. And you know what's interesting? Some of them were really open to it. You know, I've got, I know somebody now to this day who's got rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia. She has to have a, you know, she does a job for a day and then she has to have two days off. And I've told her and she still won't have them out because... Well, she's not made any progress with it. I think she just um, she doesn't want to face what what she will look like. And you know what? That's not a judgment. I think if 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 that's a fear, then um, you know there's a deep societal issue here around what women should look like. And 
around self-love and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's a much bigger, more complex uh, topic than this. But, you know, for me and for a lot of the women that realised that this was what the problem was, it's an absolute no-brainer. Mm. I'd have rather have come out and gone, oh, shit, it wasn't that. At least I'd have tried. I, I still wouldn't have given up. Um, you know, and, and, and with it has come a deep and permanent sense of, of, of self-acceptance because I love my body now more than I ever have. And how weird is that that I had to go through that to get to this point? That was your journey, though. And uh, the same for me. My my journey was only six months long. I only got them in January 2022 and they were out at the end of July. Um, but I feel completely differently uh, now to how I felt this time last year about my body. Yeah. And in some in some ways, I think because my journey didn't take up much of my life, it was only six months and I feel like I was supposed to go through it to do this podcast and to raise awareness. A part of me thinks it was it was meant to happen. And I'm in, in a way, I'm glad it happened to me. <laughs> because but I, I feel like that. Mine was seven years and I feel like that, you know, I, I couldn't have felt like that whilst I was in it. But but every I have never learned so much about myself and healed so much about myself. Like, unfortunately, you don't um, you don't take stock of things that you need to address unless you suffer. Yeah. And and some people have. I'm not you know wishing suffering on anybody, but some people have the ability to dig deep. You know, Doctor Jesse used to say to me, you know, I I I was constantly looking for a way to heal to heal emotionally because I could see how much pain I was in. And I was like, you know, what is this showing me about myself? You know, I'm not able to achieve. I'm not able to be this kind of person that I've created to be lovable. And it's causing me a lot of pain. And what I really learned was that I'd, you know, created this whole persona in order to make myself as lovable as possible. And I had to lose everything to rebuild from the ground up. I lost, you know, I was a DJ. That gave me a great sense of, you know, um, being adored almost and I lost everything and only from there have I learned who I truly am so I, I honestly wouldn't change any of it as painful as it was and I wouldn't go back into it in another 100 lifetimes I don't actually regret any of it and, and I am grateful for the lessons that I've learned and what it's shown me. I mean and you were proof in the pudding that within 15 months of explanting you were winning a Mai Tai boxing match <laughs> whereas 15 months prior to that you yeah. could barely even get out of bed yeah I mean I, I I do long distance running I started my training sort of eight weeks after my eight weeks after my operation so I gave myself a year to get ready for a fight and Thai is probably the, the one of the hardest in terms of fitness things you can do um but my first my first kilometer that I did post op took me I did one kilometer and it took me I think nearly eight minutes and I can do seven minute miles now so you know wow and would you say that all your symptoms have disappeared your skin's better your heart palpitations have gone the anxiety's gone fatigue so that all disappeared now I mean anxiety for me I do still have some nervous system issues but that's that is correlated to something else so it, the anxiety that came with palpitations and stuff that came with the with the breast implants that was different mm. that was like a big sort of shot of cortisol and adrenaline which was like hey let's stay alive so unfortunately with with things like that your your body does a copy a copy paste the next day so over time 
you have to change that. So I've been back with functional medicine. So so it, instantly that did change. The obsessive thoughts when, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I do still struggle with some nervous system issues, but I, you know, I'm on lots of supplements, which which largely it's, it's mostly gone, you know, and, and I, I have acupuncture and things in my nervous system. But certainly everything else, um, you know, I, mean, I, I did still have anxiety when I was younger, you know, I was 15 before I had um, implants. So right. that I, that will never completely leave no. me. It was exacerbated by what was going on with my body's fight. Um, but everything else, yeah. I mean, the other week I went for a run, did 11 miles just, you know, for a laugh. So um, that's <laughs> just, that was absolutely unthinkable to me. I train twice a day. Um, I do Thai boxing three times a week. I do calisthenics, which is all body strength. So I'm hanging upside down and lifting my own weight. I couldn't even brush my hair. You know, I mean, it's absolutely, it, it, it's not even night and day. It's like Earth and Mars. That's how <laughs> ridiculous it is. I have to say, you make me feel incredibly lazy. I thought I was full of energy since uh, <laughs> since getting mine out. I did a seven-minute workout app this morning. Oh, my goodness. Now I'm listening to you. Um, but I suppose what I was going to say I, I, I is... If you lose your life that much, though, you know, like for me, I, I can be putting a wash in the washing machine and I'll go, ah, I'm so grateful that I can do the washing and then I can get in the car. Like, it's literally that small for me. Mm. You know, I couldn't put a wash in the washing machine because the amount of fatigue in my arms, you know, so every step I take, you know, sometimes I can be on a walk and I'll just start crying because I'll, I'll be so overwhelmed with gratitude that I can do it. You know, I mean... It was seven years, so that's why I do these things because I can. And I, I don't. I think what I didn't make clear earlier with the black mold was because my body was already um, primed to crash because of what was going on. It was the black mold that crashed me. Mm. So it wasn't enough for a normal person. You know, a normal person would have had to have lived in that piece of carpet for six months before they'd got ill. Mm. But for me, it was enough for me to take it out of the house. So yeah. The, the, the black mold re-crashed my mitochondria and then it was just impossible to recover from it. So that was, I don't think I made that clear earlier. So that's the thing with, with having BII, you know, you might do loads of things to get better, but someone's always going to come along and knock you off your perch because you, it's still, the offender, the offender is still there. Yeah. So, you know, people spend years trying to get better and they do see improvements, but then you might get a cold or you might go through a period of stress you know, what, whatever it is, it will, it will just crash you again. Well, Emma, your story has been incredible and, and actually reminded me a lot of mine, which is mad because it's very, well, I know that a lot of us go through similar stories with BII, but the fact that we had such a similar experience is, is slightly crazy. And I really hope that, that all of our stories reach out to these women who just are not putting two and two together. And I can't thank you enough for coming on and having a chat with us today. Yeah, no problem. I think, you know, if we, at the end of the day, the, the only issue that is, if, if you'd have told 23 year old me, you might get ill, I probably wouldn't have listened, you know, in the same way, I didn't listen to people telling me not to drink or, you know, those kinds mm -hmm. of things. I think we need to get the word out there about this so that people are as informed as possible. But there really needs to be a, a huge discussion around around self-acceptance and, and, you know, a move away from pressuring women in, in particular to, you know, feel like they're not enough. Mm. This stops if we can have those discussions 
you know, but unfortunately there's just too much money to be made for people to be left alone or to think that they're enough as they are. And that's what's really sad about it. This is this is all money. You know, they knew about they've known about this since the nineties. I'm sure you're aware they were banned for a period of time and then brought mm-hmm. back. You know, there are certain breast implants that are banned in certain countries. Um, you know, they are aware of it and they've been aware of it for a long time, but there's too much money to be made and that that's what's really sad. And that's why it's up to, you know, this conversation. If it makes you feel any better, I reached out to um, Public Health England. I reached out to the Island Man government who I managed to get them to say that if a, if a woman came into their uh, doctor's surgery with any, any of these symptoms, but with bloods that weren't showing any abnormalities, they would ask them if they've got implants and discuss BII and then allow, allow them to go and do their own thing. And I did reach out to Public Health England who responded to me. Um, unfortunately it was in the middle of COVID but they said they want to talk to me at some point so I will follow up on that I think as long as it's a diagnosis that's that's the main problem for for a lot of us because most people just trust the doctors so I don't think we're at a point where we can we can realistically change a a global you know um, consciousness view that they're enough we're not going to do that overnight but at least if doctors can ask the question have you got implants and have some awareness then then that might save people years and years and years of suffering you know that's that's the thing i want to prevent is people just being left to rot because yeah it is you know it is not fun no it's certainly not no it's terrifying and we completely agree with everything that you are saying there thank you so much for coming on emma yeah, no problem. Thank you very much. It was lovely to speak to you both, and I'm glad you're both okay now. And uh, yeah, you didn't take t- didn't take any of that nonsense either. <laughs> the Heal is Real podcast. Thank you so much to Emma. I do think that was one of my favourite episodes. I don't want to show favouritism, but she was just so fantastic, and her journey so similar to yours as well. It was literally like listening to myself with a different accent. I mean, I really did get quite emotional as she was talking um, and explaining her journey. It just, it definitely brought up a lot of memories for me. It was like listening to myself, definitely. And with all of the ladies that we've spoken to so far on this pod, all of their stories are, of course, different, but there's definitely a pattern running through them all as well. Yeah, and I want to thank all of them for sharing their journeys Um so that they could help us raise awareness for women out there that are maybe just having that light bulb moment and and needing to hear more stories so they can really correlate that their illnesses are related to their implants. Uh, And as I have been uh, looking after our Instagram page, you have been a very busy bee behind the scenes, haven't you? I have. Uh, I've been in contact with the MHRA um, to find out whether they were going to implement the uh, FDA's black box and follow suit. Um, Unfortunately, they're not. But as we've discussed, Debs, and we've discussed before, uh, I think on some of our um, pods that, you know, actually what good is the black box anyway, if nobody's going to see the warning when you're in a consultation, you don't see the box. So you're never going to see that black box warning anyway. So it's pretty pointless so I'm not too worried about that but what was interesting is that they have uh, published a new framework uh, that was published in 2022 uh, and we'll be discussing that in the next series and there's some exciting stuff coming up definitely to help safeguard women who are thinking about having breast implants 
I've already got a list of guests as well who are up for coming on to series two. But of course, we want to hear from anybody that may be listening to this podcast. And if you would like to share your story and help raise awareness, you can get in touch with us via our Instagram page at the Heal is Real podcast. So thanks for listening. And we will be back soon with series two.